Matt wanted to know where I got these videos. I'll tell you where I got them. Right now, media. Except most of those video introductions are for high school groups. But you guys enjoy it just as much, so that's, I'm, I'm going to keep it up. Yeah. Would you please take your copy of the Word of God and let's turn to Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 down through verse 39. Matthew chapter 10, uh, 34 to 39 this morning. Some years ago, I was in a class. Uh, Noel and I were taking uh, map classes for uh, taking you know, foster kids and stuff like that. And I don't know why, but the lady that was leading the thing asked this question, and she said, if something happened in your life and it came down to either you trust God or you go with your family and trust your family, what would you do? And, of course, one of the ladies there uh, knew who I was, and so she looked over and she said, I'm sorry, Pastor, but if it comes down between God and my family, I'm taking my family every time. And uh, I, uh, that's, that's not the answer I was looking for. Uh, it's not the answer I don't think at all in the Bible. And so I want to talk about that this morning because it's the next uh, passage in our study of the book of Matthew. And we don't skip anything. But, uh, you know, there are, there's lots of things in this world that you would choose your family over. If it came down to choice between something and your family, there's a lot of things you would choose your family but Jesus is not the one that you would choose people over. Jesus is not the one you would say, I'll choose my family over Jesus. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. It is incongruous that in our society, families put their family above most everything else in life, and yet families in America have never been so deteriorated, disjointed, and disconnected and have so little concern for God as you look at America. Uh, with, with all the talk about focusing on the family, even in the Christian community, we are not doing well as families in America. Jesus confronts us with this issue of priority today uh, that will probably not sit well with everyone, but it's the word of God, so we, we are going to read it, we're going to accept it and live it, and that being said, we must not ever whitewash or water down what Jesus teaches us so that it fits our sensibilities and our priorities. Our sensibilities need to be sensible to the things of God. Our priorities need to be the priorities of God. So what is on the line today in regard to our priorities is, in where God is concerned, is our service, our sacrifice, and our surrender to Jesus. It is my, it is my loyalty, it's a question, is my loyalty to God or is it to my family? When pitted against each other in terms of things that have to be done in this life, even in small ways, ask yourself who is usually the winner when it's between family and let's say the spiritual family. Not necessarily thinking about church or a building at all. Neither was Jesus. If you have your uh, text with you this morning, I'm reading from the New American, and I'm in chapter 10, verse 34, and here's what it says. Before we get into that, just remember that Jesus is talking about them going out on a mission and not being afraid of people. And uh, he talks about their worth in verses uh, 29 
to 31 that uh, you're, you're worth more to God than sparrows. And when a sparrow falls to the ground, God knows it. You're worth more than that. And then he says in verses 32 and 33, everyone who confesses him before men, he says, I'll confess you before the Father. We talked about that last week. So with that in the context, Jesus says this, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the enemies of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. As we look into this, I want to take verses 34 to 36 first together as a unit. And if you're following along in your bulletin, that outline point is this. There are two main families in the world that are separated in God's eyes. There are two kinds of families in the world, and they are separated by or in God's eyes. So just so we're clear about this, the two families are, first of all, our physical families, all right, our flesh and blood. So we have the physical family. That's one. And then there's the spiritual family, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, that family that uh, we're here together as this morning, the spiritual family. Now, there are some in life who belong to the physical family only. Uh, you may have people in your family who don't know Jesus as their Savior, uh, don't walk with him, don't love him, uh, want nothing to do with him. Sometimes there's a lot of uh, a conflict in a family where you have people trying to win other family members to Christ and they want nothing to do with him. They just belong to the physical family only. There are others who belong to the physical family, but they also belong to the spiritual family. So in many of our, our uh, homes, probably the majority of them, everybody in our family knows Jesus Christ as his or her savior. And so we have a physical family with spiritual family members in it. Jesus is not going to be necessarily talking about uh, anything other than this today, and that's the way we need to take these verses, that it's about the physical and the spiritual family. Jesus prioritizes our membership and dedication to the spiritual family above the physical family in these verses. We just got through reading about that. And I would like to set a couple of baselines uh, for this whole uh, message that we have here today that God has given us. And I would like you to look at Galatians chapter 2 for just a minute. Galatians chapter 2. When I was a kid, I was taught in my Sunday school program, you remember uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians with the... Uh, with a little helpful hint of girls eat pickles cold, and I can't get away from that in my age still. That's the way I do it. But I'm in Galatians. You do it however you want to. Galatians chapter 6, and I want to read verse 10. So this is a baseline in our discussion about physical families and spiritual families. And it says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, so we have this uh, mandate upon us, if you will, 
that when we have an opportunity to do good to all people, but especially brothers and sisters, we're to do good to those who are members of the household of faith, those who know Christ as their Savior personally. And then the other side of that baseline is in 1 Timothy. And all these, all these verses are uh, listed in your, in your uh, bulletin. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and he's talking about the physical family, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Then he goes on, talks about who gets to be a widow on the list and who's a widow that's not on the list. But the point is, he's talked to us about two things. We have a spiritual family that has a priority in the life of those who are spiritual, and we have the physical family. We don't neglect that family. We love that family. We take care of that family. But we also have to have a priority uh, between these two families as I uh, read the text. Physical family is important. So don't hear what I'm not saying, all right? I'm not saying physical families aren't important. I'm just trying to share with you what I believe Jesus said to all of us. That's what I'm trying to do. And I don't think he's saying that physically fam physical family isn't important. It said we are to take care of them. If you don't take care of them, you're worse than an unbeliever. All right? But uh, it's not as important as our spiritual family. I, I get a kick out of people who think that when they die, there's this great big family reunion in heaven, and Uncle uh, Freddie's going to be there. I'm trying to pick names that are not you. Uh, and so-and-so, and Aunt so-and-so, Aunt Molly. And, and forgive me if that's your aunt's name. But the point is heaven is not about getting there and finding all your relatives there. And you guys have a banquet together, and then you spend the rest of your time at the playground in heaven, and it's just a good old family time. You know, there's some people that if, if you tell them uh, your, your grandpa or your dad's going to be in heaven, they don't want to go. And the, the whole point is our family is going to be a brand new family, a spiritual family, and you won't be married anymore, and all those things are going to disappear. We'll have an intimate relationship with everyone, and that's, that's part of the joy of heaven. And it's if, if it's important there, it's important here. In verse 34, it would be wrong to think that Jesus came to bring peace to the entire world, and that's what he said. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. He didn't come uh, to bring the peace that we usually think about. He brought a sword, and the sword here is a sharp and shorter sword like a Roman soldier would carry in Jesus' day. It was more or less a dagger, and the military people were, uh, were carrying those. They're double-edged. They're about yay long, and uh, the person would carry that. And Jesus said, I didn't come uh, to bring peace, but I brought one of those with me. I brought a sword with me. So the issue is, what did Jesus mean by that? Because we all know that the sword was a symbol of violent death in the Bible, and especially in the death of war. And we are talking about uh, things that are happening today in the, between physical families and spiritual families that has to do with the spiritual warfare. And I think that Jesus is often talking about the spiritual warfare that is going on in this world with his followers. Uh, these are the people that are experiencing spiritual warfare, the children of God, and the uh, spiritual warfare is fueling what Jesus has to do for us because we're lost in our sins and we need a savior. So this sword is the instrument that was used by the government of Jesus' day for capital punishment. And if you want to look for just a minute in uh, Romans 13, uh, where we learn 
that we should obey our government, and if we don't have a moral reason not to obey our government, we should obey our government. And that's why in counseling I uh, have people confess speeding, and they have to stop speeding because that's breaking the law. And uh, you, that's non-defensible before God because the government was given us for our good and to, and to be a minister of God. In verse 4 it says, Romans 13, For it is a minister of God to you, talking about the government, for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword, and there's our word sword, same one as in Matthew, for nothing. For it is, the government is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. All right, so that's another illustration of the sword. Uh, we want to, uh, because the question comes up in some people's minds, wait a minute, uh, what do you mean Jesus didn't come to bring peace but a sword? If you look at chapter 2 of Luke and verse 14, we find that issue. <clears throat> There's a bunch of angels, and they're out in the middle of uh, nowhere at a pasture where there are some people uh, shepherding their sheep. And they just suddenly appear, and there's a multitude of them in the heavens praising God above these shepherds. And in verse 14, the angels yell out, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And so people say, well, the baby in the manger, he came to bring peace. And yet Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. I, I think Dr. Blomberg has a, has a lot of good things to say on this. I have one quote from him about that. Peace on earth is only for those upon whom his favor rests. That's theologically and biblically true. Only those who are right with God are going to experience the peace that God has to offer. So he says peace on earth is only for those upon whom his favor rests. That is for those with whom he is pleased. God is not pleased with the sinner. God is not pleased with the unbeliever. God is not pleased with those who go against his word and, and choose not to follow him. He is for those, and those who follow him, they can have that peace. And I think he's interpreted this correctly. This helps us do away with the apparent contradiction between the two. That is, if peace was, uh, was to come to all men, why don't all men achieve peace? Because there's a caveat to it, and that is the issue of do you have faith in God or do you not have faith in God? And that'll be the dividing point. It also speaks of a kind of peace uh, that, that he was talking about. Uh, and he's talking about uh, the peace uh, with God in terms of the Luke passage. And here he's talking about the fact that the people that follow God are going to not have peace with those who don't follow God. You think that's true in America today? Of course, we see it and we feel it, and it's everywhere. And that is the, the truth that we're talking about. In verse 35, it begins in uh, the verse with the conjunction for. And Jesus is going to give us a reason or a purpose here. The conjunction for tells us the reason why Jesus is understood as bringing a sword to the human mix. And that's where it's going to show up the most. Yes, it's a spiritual warfare. Our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. But people play a part in that as they succumb uh, to the enemy's endeavors in their life. Not everyone will be saved. Everyone who is not saved comes from a physical family somewhere on earth, but they are not a part of the, of the spiritual family of God. Some of them come uh, from physical families who have people in them who are also part 
of the family of God. You have relatives that belong to Jesus and some that don't. The physical only, uh, physical family members only, are sons of the darkness, according to the Bible, and the believers are sons of light. And as an illustration of that, with more training on that, uh, look at 2 Corinthians 6, if you would, with me, 14 and 15. Actually, I'm going to 18. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. It's going to help me a whole lot if I actually go to 2 Corinthians. So I'll do that before I start reading. Here we go. Uh, this is why we tell our young people you don't date non-believers. You don't date people who don't know Christ if you know Christ. It says in verse 14, do not. And we have to ask ourselves, what does do not mean there? It means don't do it. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. And by the way, that, that moves into all kinds of issues like business partners in life. Do not be bound together with unbelievers for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? Both rhetorical questions. The answer is they have none, absolutely none. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial, another word for Satan? Well, the answer is none. Or what has a believer in common with the unbeliever? Nothing. That means in your physical family, if you have non-Christians in it, and you're a Christian, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to come up where I don't have anything in common with you. You want to go places I really don't want to go. You want to do things I really don't want to do. Those kinds of issues. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? In other words, you, because you are the temple of God, God dwells in you, uh, with idols. Well, none. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among their midst, he means the unbelievers, and be separate, says the Lord. All right, now uh, we take that one way. The Amish and Mennonites take it a whole different way, a different separation. We don't separate uh, the way they do in our clothing and stuff like that. Uh, but we are not to be a part of what the unbelievers are a part of and what they do. And he says, do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, uh, Jesus said, and I will be a father to you. And you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And he's talking about family there, isn't he? He certainly, certainly is. The reality is that a son and his father may be divided or separated from each other over the issue of Jesus. That's an unequal yoke. It's not going to be good. The same might be true with a daughter and her mother, or a daughter-in-law and her mother-in-law. And I want you to think about this. This is about spiritual separation only, okay? We're not talking about everything else that goes on. Uh, we happen to have three very, very lovely daughters-in-law. Get along with them great. They get along with Noel fantastically. So it's talking about a, uh, the spiritual issue if we have unbelievers and believers. In verse 36, it will be that because of Jesus, a man's enemies may very well be members of his own family. And we read about that. We studied it back in chapter 10, uh, verse 21. And I'm going to read that. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. And the whole issue is some of those people might be in your own family, and they might be enemies of God. And so uh, we don't have an allegiance to them 
the way we do to our spiritual family or our saved spiritual family. Well, this, this should not be the case where everyone in the family is a believer, but lots of us don't have that privilege of having everyone in the family be a believer, sometimes even in our own household. An enemy is one who subjects us to hostility. It is one who hates you and makes you an object of enmity in their life. Luke chapter 14 and 26 helps us a little bit with that. So I'm going to read that, Luke 14, 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, I want you to park there just a minute. You, people read that and they walk away and say, what do you mean I should hate? In other words, be unwilling to put up with my own brother, father, sister, mother, cousins, aunts, uncles, and all this stuff. But he's talking about a priority in life, and you need to catch that phrase. I need to love Jesus even more than I love myself. Is that true or is it not true? If it's not true, I need to get with it. If it is true, then thank God you're, you're on the right path, right? Even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, Jesus seems to be saying in the word of God, I need to be number one in your life, period. And no one else should take that place. By the way, not even you, the Lord says. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Strong words. Jesus means them. Now, this should not be the case where everyone in my family is a believer. Sometimes families have that. An enemy is one who subjects us to hostility. It's the one who hates you and makes you an object of their hatred. Uh, this verse in Luke, these verses state that the whole command is to be taken in a very strong way. There is a cost, my friends, to consider when we become disciples of Jesus Christ. There is a cost that has to be considered. In verses 37 to 39, we're going to learn that giving up your life to Christ is the only means of having significant life. Giving your life up to Christ, putting all on the altar for him. You're carrying a cross, he wants you to use it. And that's the only way to have significant life in this life. In verse 37, he reads, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our commitment to Jesus then must be a priority over our commitment to our physical family. Jesus does not say that we should not love our fathers or mothers. That's not what he's ever said. He does not say that we should not love our sons and our daughters uh, or our wives or our husbands. Jesus said these people should not be loved more than one loves him. There's our priority. That's what he's talking about. I guess one would ask, who do we defer to when the interests of our family and those of Jesus are in conflict? So we need to each ask ourselves a question, which do we show the most allegiance to when we got a situation where our family wants something and Jesus wants something of us in our ministry? Some of us cannot comprehend that Jesus is serious about this teaching. So we just ignore it. It is the same problem we have with other priorities in life. 
We tend to believe more in what we can see than that which is unseen in the realm of the spiritual world or just uh, tend to be more about our preferences in life than we are the preferences that God sets for us because we just don't like to do what God says. Or maybe God, we think, doesn't know what he's talking about in this situation. Maybe the circumstance, if God you know, knew what the circumstance was, he'd know that I can violate his word and do what I want to do anyway. And all that, no, you're, we're not supposed to do that. So we have to ask ourselves this question because the text begs it of us. Do I honor God above my family? That's the issue. Like, do I overlook sin in my family members' lives because they're my family? Or do I say something about it and try to do something about it? Verse 38. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So the Lord is dealing with two things that are very important to us in life. Number one, our family and how much we love them. And then he turns to this cross thing, which is going to be about us. It's going to be about whether we are going to carry the cross Jesus gave us to carry or, you know, slump it off our shoulder and walk on. This verse serves to help us understand what Jesus is saying. Being dedicated to Jesus means that I die to myself and I live for him. Uh, Dr. Keener has a couple things to say about that. I thought they were good enough to tell you. He says, although we may speak glibly today of our crosses. Now, what he means is sometimes we as Christians talk in a way about our crosses that they're really not there for the purpose Jesus meant for them to be there, the giving of our life. And he says, we talk glibly today about our cross as the need to put up with Aunt Molly or a leaky roof. I got a leaky roof. Boy, I'm bearing the cross of Christ today, brothers and sisters. Oh, you know, I got a flat tire. I'm bearing the cross today, brothers and sisters. Hope somebody comes along to change it for me. All right, now back to what he said. Although we may speak glibly of our crosses as the need to put up with Aunt Molly or the leaky roof, taking up the cross in Jesus' day meant being forced to bear an instrument of one's own execution past a jeering mob to the site of one's imminent death as a condemned criminal. That's pretty serious stuff. He goes on to say in another place, quoting, if I value my life in this world more than I value Jesus and the life of the next world, I cannot be his disciple. It's up to you to decide whether you think Jesus really means that or not. If I'm not willing to give up my life for Jesus, Jesus says I'm not worthy of him. The word worthy, as I studied that a little bit, means to have a high degree of comparable worth. So here it's in the negative. Uh, it means that I don't deserve to belong to him. Instead of having a high degree of worth, I have a low degree of worth. Not that you're saved by what you're worth. It's not what he's saying. Here we learn what kind of life is valuable and eternally significant and what life is not either of those things. He put us here to do more than save our own family. Heaven knows our own family needs saved. We need to work at that. But what about the others around us, the place you work, uh, the people you rub shoulders with? Are they that important to you? They should be and me. Many try to find significant life by being very successful in this world. Uh, going their own way. And the result is, according to Jesus here, they lose their life. 
He who tries to find his life is going to lose his life. He who loses his life for the sake of Christ finds his life. Do you believe that? That's the issue. Do I believe it? Many are willing to forego their own life and live for Jesus and his kingdom. And Jesus says they find true life. They, They find true life. Those who choose to live their life for the honor and advancement of Christ find true life that lasts beyond the door of this life. And it kind of all doubt boils down to this. Am I able to see the future value in living for Jesus now? Am I willing to make those choices now? I think what I found was an appropriate illustration of this. Well, and I watched this documentary, but I was lucky enough to find a small piece in print. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the guy's last name right, but you can can correct it in your own mind. In June of 2017, 33-year-old rock climber Alex Honnold, does that sound right? Thank you. I got a yes. I don't know where it came from, but thank you. Amen. Somebody asked me the other day if, if we're allowed to say amen in church, and I said, yes, but if you get me all juiced up, I'll go 30 or 40 minutes over. So <laughs> I'm waiting to see what they'll do. They don't happen to be here today, but I'll, I'm waiting. Anyway, I hope they didn't watch this on Facebook. Anyway, in June of 2017, 33-year-old rock climber Alex scaled the, the mountain called El Capitan. It's actually a 3,000-foot granite rock in Yosemite National Park, widely considered the most challenging wall in the world. And he was the first person to make the climb free solo. No harness, no hooks, no ropes, nothing. He started once and he, and he came back down. He waited about a year or so and he, he decided he was going to do it. And he did it with nothing but his, his finger grip strength. Uh, just to get away from this for just a second, in the movie, uh, the documentary, he just lives in a trailer and he has a pull-up bar on, on his door, and it's this wide. And he does his pull-ups by his fingertips. Amazing, all right? Um, I do my pull-ups on one of those mini trampolines that they have. <laughs> Anyway, he was the first person to make uh, the, free climb, the, the climb free solo with no equipment or ropes. At one point, he was hanging from just his thumbs 1,000 feet above the ground. And yeah, we saw it on the documentary. Incredible. He lives most of the year out of a van, a lifestyle that they call dirt bagging, which he calls an intentional choice to prioritize your vocation. <laughs> He's a rock climber. His whole life is given to rock climbing. Everything is rock climbing. Everything. Now, that's his vocation. Dr. Hendricks used to say, what did he used to say? Uh, he, he, said, he said, your career is what you're paid to do. Your calling is what you're made to do. We're talking about calling. You got yourself 10 minutes. Here we go. <clears throat> you can thank Ryan right there right now. I'll try to control myself. All right. <clears throat> anyway, Honold says, I want to climb the best in the best places in the world, and that's my focus. So I'm willing to give up having stability, having a shower, having whatever in order to climb the way I want to climb. He goes on to say, I am probably more intentional with my way of life 
the life I live, my life, than virtually anybody. I have made a clear choice about what I find value in. And I want us to just think about that for a minute. Jesus is trying to get us to see this morning, well, what do you and I find value in, in life? He finds it in rock climbing here, uh, Alex does. Anyway, he goes on to say, what risks I am willing to take is about rock climbing. I am doing exactly what I love to do, and it is very easy for someone sitting on the couch, which is where Noel and I were watching this at home, to condemn it as crazy and stupid. We didn't do that. But I can justify all my choices. And then he asked this question. I hope it's penetrating as far, as far as our spiritual endeavor here this morning. Can you say the same about your life? Hmm. Well, as Christians, you know what he's talking about in his world. As Christians, we know what Jesus is talking about in our world. Can people tell that I am going to give up whatever I need to give up to serve Jesus? Can people tell that I'm willing uh, to go without something so I can do something for Jesus? Is he number one? Is he a priority? And that's the whole issue that we're talking about this morning. By way of some applications here, one's response to Jesus will separate him from some people forever. I already know that I have relatives out of my family, mom and dad's side both, that I will never see again. And if that was their choice, that was their choice. I'm not responsible for that. And I'm not going to miss them in heaven. I wish they would have been there. But you chose against my Jesus. And you're getting what you deserve for your choice. I'm going to be surrounded by multitudes of brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll have intimate relationships in terms of knowing each other, loving each other, and being concerned about what God wants us to do. And he'll have stuff for us to do. And my response to Jesus has separated me from some of those people. Now, the ones that are left, I still try to reach with the gospel of Christ. I try to reach some of your relatives. I try to reach some of your friends. Sometimes that's successful, sometimes it's not. But the point is, I'm trying are you trying? Is that your priority? I know some of you really work hard at it. Thank God for you. Secondly, you know, I've, I've went over this term a number of times for myself, so I've already done my convictions here. But let me ask, do, do you think Jesus is more serious about discipleship than you or I am? If the answer is yes, then we need to get with it. And lastly, and I ask myself this too, friends, okay? Have you and I taken up our cross? Have you taken up your cross? Are you following him fully dedicated? Are you one of those who Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 8? We are considered sheep to be slaughtered for Jesus Christ. Amen. That's, that's where we're headed. And that's okay because that's our priority. Let's pray together.